This is The Mudroom, uncommon sense parenting classes with your parenting coach, Alana Robinson. Weekly nuggets of developmentally appropriate parenting wisdom to help you parent your toddlers, preschoolers, and kindergartners more effectively with less effort. The Mudroom is recorded live on Facebook every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Now, here's Alana. Hello everyone, welcome to The Mudroom, our weekly free parenting class. I hope you're all enjoying the lights and sights of the season. During December, the Uncommon Sense Parenting team and I take a wee break so that we can also enjoy the season with our families and focus on getting our clients ready for the next year. So during December, we'll be running replays of our top episodes of 2021. These are the episodes that got the most likes, the most comments, the most views this year. So we hope that you enjoy this refresher and we'll see you with new episodes in 2022. Happy holidays! Hello everyone, welcome to The Mudroom, our weekly free Uncommon Sense Parenting class. How is everyone doing today? We're now well and truly into July. I hope your summer is off to a great start and that you're enjoying this lovely weather. And for those of you who have had kids who've been doing virtual learning or even in typical school, that you're enjoying the break and the reprieve. I know I'm certainly enjoying not getting constant emails from teachers piling more and more things on my plate. It's been nice. <laughs> so today I wanted to talk about an effect that was discovered in the 1960s called the Pygmalion effect. I read about this a really long time ago and you know, you read something and you're like, oh, that's cool. But it wasn't until recently that I was watching a reel on Instagram, actually, that it came to mind again. And I realized just how much that that research has had an impact on how I do things, how I approach kids, how I approach parents, my whole outlook on life. And I've been noticing when I speak to parents lately that there's a lot of determinism going around. Lots of conversations are starting out with, well, they've always been this way, or, yeah, we've tried everything, but I think they're just a difficult personality. Or my personal favorite is when they twist my constant chant of kids do well if they can, and they turn it into, I know that kids do well if they can, so I guess my kid just isn't capable of doing anything right. I don't know if this is some kind of reaction to the pandemic easing off and old expectations coming back, or if it's indicative of the parental burnout that we're all experiencing after a year of constant contact with our kids, or if it's just that I'm talking to more parents outside of my little posse bubble lately, but I'm having the same conversation over and over, which usually means that it's time to do a mudroom on it. So here we are. Before we jump into it though, allow me to introduce myself for those of you who are new. My name is Alana Robinson. I'm a parenting coach for parents of toddlers, preschoolers, and kindergartners. I help you understand why your children are misbehaving and how to fix it without yelling, shaming, or timeouts. I'm your host here on The Mudroom. I'm also the host of the Parenting Posse Facebook group, and I'm the creator of the Parentability Program where I help you raise well-behaved kids of your own. If you're watching, please say hi. This class is pre-recorded, but I'm around. You can comment, I'm gonna answer. And I also invite you to come and join us in the Parenting Posse if you'd like to chat further. No matter where you're accessing this class from, make sure you follow, like, and subscribe so that you never miss another one, all right? So what's this Pygmalion effect and why is it relevant in 2021 when the research was done in the 60s? So the Pygmalion effect was researched in 1964 to 1965 by a guy named Dr. Robert Rosenthal. He was a psychology professor at Harvard 
and he wanted to study the effect of expectations. So what he did was he contacted an elementary school who he'd been corresponding with their principal. And this principal had an interest in his work, and he proposed using their school as the testing ground for this study. All right, the things that you could get away with in the 60s. <laughs> this would never happen now. So he designed this IQ test and he presented it to the staff at the school and told them that it would indicate which students in their classes were what he called bloomers. Bloomers were kids who scored high and he told the teachers that scoring high on the test indicated that they were capable of great things. These were the kids that were gonna go on to be doctors, lawyers, astronauts, make scientific discoveries, etc., elite athletes, right? And then he said that he'd be back in a year to see how the bloomers had gotten on. Now it's important to note that the parents and the students didn't know that they were being tested. Again, the things you could get away with in the 60s. And the teachers didn't know what the scores were. They simply knew which students had been labeled as bloomers. So a year goes by and Dr. Rosenthal comes back to see what's gone on at the school. And the results come in and the teachers are all raving about this test because it turns out that all the students who had been labeled bloomers had done amazingly well in math, science, English, phys ed, everything. They had advanced and exceeded expectations in every single area. And the kids who actually made the most gains were those who were in grade one. That was the lowest grade that they tested. And at this point, Dr. Rosenthal then reveals that the test was fake. Total sham. The Bloomer kids were chosen at random. They improved so much because the teachers were more patient with them, they spent more time with them, they nurtured them more because the teachers believed that these children were more capable of meeting their expectations than the average kids were. Now there's a lot of controversy around this study, but by time it was thoroughly peer reviewed, pretty much all of the naysayers had fallen away. And now it's considered one of those groundbreaking studies of modern psychology. So what does this mean for us as parents of young kids? Well, first you'll notice that I pointed out that the youngest kids made the biggest gains. There's been a lot of speculation as to why that was, but the most compelling argument that I've read is that the younger the child, the more plastic their brain, the more impact that that nurturing has on them. Children in grade one don't have any preconceived notions of whether they are good or bad at a subject, especially back then when kindergarten was totally play-centered and relatively new. They don't have any inherent resistance to school or expectations of their intelligence, right? School is new. So it makes sense that those children who received extra nurturing that early on would make the biggest gains because they weren't fighting against any existing biases and their brain was the most open to that nurturing. In other words, the earlier you nurture your child's strengths and remediate their weaknesses, the faster and more impact that effort will have. And this isn't just applicable to parenting. Ask any parent who has a child with a diagnosis of any kind, and they'll tell you that it's been hammered into them how important early intervention is. Because there's tons of evidence that when it comes to intervention, which is just a fancy word for intentionally nurturing weak skills, the better. The other takeaway of note is that 
these kids were chosen at random. They didn't just pick the kids that actually scored highest on the IQ test. And in fact, there was a whole bunch of controversy around the actual test because it was total bunk. And in case you've never heard my general opinion on IQ tests, IQ tests are really just stress tests. They don't objectively measure how smart you are. They measure how much knowledge you can regurgitate under duress. In other words, which kids can keep a cool head under pressure. They aren't objective or accurate measures of intelligence. So had they simply chosen the kids who did the best on the bunk IQ test, it could be argued that they chose children who already had the ability to stay well-regulated and therefore by giving them extra support and nurturing, they would naturally outpace their peers academically. But they didn't. They chose the bloomers at random, which means inevitably there were kids in the bloomer group who had behavioral challenges, who weren't very good at self-regulating, who had weak skills. I'm sure if there's I'm sure if there's any teachers watching, <laughs> those kids sprung to mind immediately, didn't they? Especially at the grade one level. So the takeaway here is that it doesn't matter where your kid is now or what they're struggling with now. If you believe, and I mean truly believe, that your child is capable of learning and improving, they will, because you will support them in that. Because takeaway number three is that the teachers didn't know the kids' scores and they weren't directed to nurture these kids more. They did it simply because they believed that their efforts were going to be rewarded. They were predisposed to believe that these children were more capable, that the children that they were nurturing were capable of great things. They weren't told to give them more attention to support their academic learning more. They just did it because they'd been told these kids were special and had the potential to be world changers. But these kids were random. And they all, every last one of them, made huge improvements over the year. And they were blowing the kids who the teachers had been told were average out of the water. But there was nothing special about them. They were just random kids. Which means every child has the potential to make massive improvements. What makes the difference isn't their potential or anything innate about them, their nature, or their character. It's the confidence the adults around them have in their abilities. If you truly believe that your child has the ability to meet your expectations, maybe not eventually, maybe not right away, I mean, <laughs> maybe eventually, but they will because you're going to support them in meeting those expectations. If you don't support them, then they're not going to improve. I saw this a lot when I was doing early intervention. I quickly got a reputation for taking on quote unquote difficult kids who had stalled out and getting them progressing again. One agency I worked for actually color-coded kids' files with bingo dabbers. Red meant they were like the most difficult and complex kids who weren't progressing at all. And then it went down the rainbow to purple, which meant that they were easy to work with and made progress quickly. And I got several kids off of red and down into green and even blue. And I remember talking to my boss one evening and she handed me over a red coated case file and she said, you know, you've got your work cut out for you with this one. And then she started in on, I suggest, and at that point someone walked into the room and demanded her attention immediately. So she kind of trailed off and 
then excused herself and said, like, good luck. And I was like, wait, <laughs> what do you suggest? But she was gone. So I just took my case file and put it in my bag. I never read the case file before going to meet a new client because I didn't want to have others' perceptions of this kid cloud my perception of them. I wanted to meet them with fresh eyes and have no expectations of them, even though that was somewhat impossible with a big red bingo dabber on their file. So it wasn't until after I'd met him that I read that he'd severely injured several other developmental specialists. He was known for biting till he broke skin. He'd slammed several people's hands and doors intentionally. His instinct was to throw fists. But that didn't really jive with the kid I'd met. Yes, he had a temper and he was quick to anger, but on the whole, he had coped with a total stranger inserting herself into his afternoon rather well, at least I thought. And lo and behold, six months later, he wasn't just on green. His case manager was discussing moving him off of services altogether. And my boss pulled me aside after the program review meeting where that option had been put on the table and was like, what have you done with this kid? He hasn't made any progress in two years. And within six months, his case managers were recommending graduation from services. Like what's going on? And I'm really embarrassed to say that I didn't actually have an answer for her because I didn't feel I was doing anything special. But when he did graduate off of services several months later, his mother gave me a card and in it she wrote that she'd asked him how Lana had helped him. And his response was that Lana knew I could do it. That's it. I just didn't assume that he was beyond all hope. I believed that he could succeed. So I treated him like he had the potential to succeed and then he did. It's super simple, right? But it's not easy. It's not easy to believe a child is doing the best they can when they're refusing to do something you've seen them successfully accomplish 42,000 times before. It's not easy to believe a child is capable of learning when every attempt to teach them ends in tears. It's not easy to believe a child is capable when they're often looking you straight in the eye while they defy you. Those teachers could have been giving those kids the exact same level of nurturing without being told that they're special, but they did it without even realizing it simply because someone in authority told them it was possible, told them that it wasn't wasted effort or energy. And that's why I teach behavior modification from a place of understanding early childhood development. I'll tell you that one of the most common reactions I get from clients when they start identifying and helping their kids cope with their stressors is, oh my God, I can't believe how quickly things have improved. I can't believe how fast we're seeing changes. Nothing has changed other than the parent's understanding of the science. And that science has given them the belief that their child is capable of doing better. Their child has the potential to learn to self-regulate. They have the potential to improve their skills. So they begin nurturing those things in their child. And the great thing about it is that confirmation bias exists. If you believe that your child is capable of something and then you support them in, achieve, in achieving that thing, your brain goes, ha, I knew they had it in them all along. And then we begin to see more and more and more gains because with each success, we confirm to ourselves that they have the potential for more. So if you've been secretly thinking that maybe this is just your kid, maybe this is just how they roll and this is the best that you can ever hope for them, let's talk.
because chances are if you just educate yourself a little bit, your perspective is going to change. And when your perspective changes, your perception of what's possible changes. And when your perception of what's possible changes, change happens. We have the ability to help our children reach their highest potential, but they can't do it alone. They need our help. So if you're ready to learn something new, I strongly suggest that you carve out an hour of your day and come sit in on my free workshop, How to Raise Well-Behaved Kids Without Yelling, Shaming, or Timeouts. In it, I go into some common mistakes that parents are making that are actually causing your child to misbehave more, usually because they make us perceive that our child is not doing the best they can. And then I explain the entire framework that I use with my parents' ability members, some of the science behind it, and how it can help you get out of this rut, solve these problems, and truly believe that your child is capable of more. The link for that is in my bio. Okay, that is it for today. I hope you have a wonderful afternoon, and I will see you next week for another Uncommon Sense Parenting class. Bye. You've been listening to The Mudroom on Common Sense Parenting Classes with Alana Robinson. If you like what you just heard, remember to join us live every Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Facebook. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, share, and connect with us in the Parenting Posse Facebook group. This has been an Alana Robinson Family Services production.